Some days are terrible, you wish that you were dead And some days are magical, like grape banana bread Someday we'll be friends with the voices in our heads The voices in our heads Hello. Congrats on surviving another week, you goddamn heroes. Yeah, I'm talking to you, Stu, you Jew. I could say that because I'm also Jewish, although I didn't know it until I did a 23andMe test. I also found out some other things, but I'm glad you're here. I'm Christina Hutchinson. I'm your trusty host. Welcome to the voices in our heads. Wow, 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 wow. We're doing it. We're figuring it out. Well, we're trying. We're trying. Um, Here's some shows that I have coming up that if you're in the following areas, cities and states on the following days, you should come. New York City, Saturday, September 26th at 7 p.m. is the next New New York, hosted by myself and Donna Guerreros. I'm so proud of this event. It is a living, breathing example of the fact that New York City will never die. We are the poster child of coming back from hardship. Flowers always grow through the cracks, guys. And on Saturday at 7 p.m., New New York is proof of that. So if you want to go to that show, email thevoicesinourheadspodcast at gmail.com and I will send you the ticket link because it's a pop-up. We're probably going to sell out pretty quickly. We haven't even opened tickets yet. Um, This comes on Wednesday, right? Tomorrow. Again, recording this the night before. Thanks, Mike. You're a doll. Uh, Tempe, Arizona. Is it Tempe? Temp? Temp? I don't know. I'm going to say Tempe, Arizona, October 8th through the 10th. Corinne Fisher and I are going to be at the Tempe Improv. Denver, Colorado, y'all got mountains and weed. October 22nd to the 24th, Corinne Fisher and I are going to be at Comedy Works at the larger venue. So you can come, and we're going to be hiking and smoking a J. Well, I will be. Corinne, weed doesn't affect her. What, you know, what are you going to do? Guys, isn't it weird that food labels are allowed to brag about their food not being poisonous. I just feel like, all right, you know, I was grocery shopping the other day and I just noticed all this hoopla on the food packages that are like, guys, we didn't put rat piss in our food. Yay! You don't get an award for that. I was really hoping that none of the food had really bad things, GMOs. And, and, and SPCs, I don't know what that means. What's the one that's the, that's the salt? Is that GMO? Whatever it was, MSG, that one. That'll give you a headache. But I love sesame chicken. Anyway, I just think it's weird. I feel like the FDA kind of blows. The FDA kind of blows. For a lot of reasons, and one of them is that they allow companies to brag about not poisoning their food. It's weird. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. Speaking of poison... Guys, let's do some fuckboy theater. Okay, it's been a minute. I didn't do it last week because I was really trying to get through my chapter. That was an intense one, huh? All right, fuckboy theater. We're going to do a conversation and then we'll do a bio because, wow, a lot of trash, a lot of trash out there. This is a conversation between a girl and a fuckboy named Scourge. <laughs> it's George. It's George. And he lives in Arizona. Um, okay. 
This conversation takes place. I'm trying to think if I'm going to do the dates. Sure, I'll do it. This is an older conversation. So on January 19th, 6.56 p.m., George says, Hello, beautiful. You are a stunning young lady. All right, Grandpa, cool. At 7.23 p.m., same day, Can I make you feel good? April 7th, 7.55. Hello? April 27th, 10.20 p.m. $500 for oral? <laughs> December 10th, 10.19 p.m. Hello? January 11th, 5.44 p.m. Hey, hottie. July 20th, 10.40 p.m. Hello? <laughs> that was that one. <laughs> Uh, it's just like you really think people really live in their own heads man because this guy is very persistent over a long period of time and you'd have to think that he believes that he's making headway <laughs> head Woo! haven't gotten that in a while anyway this is a bio for a fuck boy this is a tinder bio oh his name is piss just kidding it's Chris he's 27 years old let's read what he has to say if you consider yourself crazy or damaged I'm definitely the patient ass motherfucker to put up with any fuckery you could attempt wow really uh really starting out hot I also have two amazing dogs so yeah Stable-ass man that's seen some shit and will definitely put up with any crazy-ass shit you'll pull. So try me. That sounds like a challenge. That challenge is further perpetrated by this man's profile picture of him in a field holding an AK-47. Oh, y'all, he's holding a gun. He's holding a goddamn machine gun that he might have printed off the interwebs. But he's in a field with his eyeglasses down to the tippy tip of his nose, with a black beanie, looking at the camera like, ain't this some shit? And you know what, Chris? Yeah, it is. And scene. Thank you, guys. Wow, thank you. I got a BFA in acting, Marymount Manhattan College. Appreciate it. I really rehearsed for that one. Really rehearsed for that one. I I compiled three happiness tips for you guys because i read all your childhood trauma responses and i feel like we could use some happy 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 joy joy huh there's just three things that are free they're free okay we love some free shit but these are things in my life and i've repeated these on this podcast before i'm gonna repeat them again because fuck you still i feel like it bears repeating Turn all your notifications off of your cell phone. Just turn them off. Check whatever the fuck app. Facebook. In, Facebook if you're still. Instagram, Twitter, emails. Turn the fucking notifications off, okay? Because you might not think that it's overwhelming you emotionally and intellectually and spiritually and possibly even sexually. But having... A notifications on makes me feel like I'm being pulled in several different directions, okay? And I promise you, it is so much healthier for your brain and your body and your titties and your balls. If you check whatever the fuck app you want to check, when you want to check it. Not the second so-and-so comments on my photo. Just fucking check the app when you want to check it. 
turn your notifications off, okay? And tip number fucking two, after a certain hour of the day, whatever you, that's up to you. These are just, you know, these are suggestions, but I really, I really cannot recommend them enough because I've put them into practice, y'all, and I'm doing better. After a certain hour of the day, put do not disturb on, on your phone. I mean, unless, you know, your sister's expecting a baby any minute, then, you know, use your discretion. Sometimes personal situations require adjustments to the rules. But I put my phone on do not disturb and woo boy, freedom, freedom. And also tip number three, and I'll tell you this every day of my life, fucking meditate. I realize I probably shouldn't say that stressed out sounding, huh? Meditate, you guys. I promise you, you, this is coming from a lady who does not enjoy sitting still. And meditating has made me enjoy sitting still. Well, I enjoy sitting still to meditate. I haven't gotten to the point where I enjoy just sitting still for the fuck of it. I don't like doing that yet. Maybe one day I will. Maybe I won't. But meditating, I do it at night. But do whatever you want. I'm not the boss of you. But meditating every night for me, I light my candles and my camera op- candle opera in the fireplace. Because I've never used my fireplace because I don't want to die of CO2 poisoning. Mm-hmm. But I do want firefighters to come over. So maybe I should reconsider that. But I meditate in front of my fireplace with the candles in it. And it's so nice, y'all. I cannot tell you how beneficial it is for your nervous system. Yo, okay. Yo, I'm trying, this is, I had this thought the other day on the toilet. I think I was taking a shit. Was I taking a shit? Or maybe I was peeing. Maybe I was peeing. Um, but I was on the toilet regardless. I was on the toilet. Which hole was it coming out of? I couldn't tell you. But that's not important. So I don't know why I got into it. But that's how my brain works. There's no one here to give me immediate feedback when I talk into this microphone, guys. So sometimes I just go off. But I was sitting on the toilet. And I, I, I had this idea all of a sudden. Because I was wondering, and you know, I've lived in my apartment for 10 years. I'm like, I wonder when I'm going to move out. Because I would like a view. I dream of a view. But I was like, what if I could save this apartment and keep it and just make it a museum, like a relic of just my apartment? You could like tour it. And then I thought to myself, I thought while I was on the toilet, wait a second, I want to buy my apartment building. Yep, I want to buy my apartment building and I want to turn the entire building. I'll kick everyone out, but kindly. It's a rental building. So it's like, you know, I'll help them find places. I will not do it. I won't be like, get the fuck out of here. Well, I will, but I'll do it nicely. Um, But the idea I had, it just came to me as if the Lord, she was, she came down and she said, here's this idea, Christina. And I was like, I accept it. I was like, I want to buy my entire apartment building and turn it into an immersive theater experience where there's a different theme for every season. And I'm talking about winter, winter, spring, summer, fall, y'all. Those are the seasons I'm talking about. Where each floor, it's a five-story apartment building. Because my apartment, my apartment is such a unique layout. It is two and a half stories. I have crazy amounts of closet space. And I turned my storage loft into this beautiful Alice in Wonderland dream space. And my one of my closets in my living room, I turned into an office that's also dreamy. And I just really love my apartment. I'm like, man, these... This apartment unit is so unique. Oh my God, I want to buy my building and turn the whole thing into an immersive theater experience. And I could charge either a shitload of money for tickets and get money that way. I don't know. I'd rather make art more accessible. 
to people or get funding. If if you're listening to this and you're a billionaire, the Voices in Our Heads podcast at gmail.com. I probably need $100 million for this idea because I got to buy the building. Well, I don't know how much the building is, but I also need to assemble a team, a team of real estate lawyers, a team of non-real estate lawyers, an assistant, you know, a bunch of people. Because what I was thinking is every season, we're going to do a new theme, right? And then every floor, there's five floors. So the first floor I was thinking, the the artists and residents that are in charge of like, they get each get a floor or something. I don't know how it's going to work out yet. Still managing the details. I thought of all this on the toilet. Okay, so give me a second. But every floor could be a mini theme within that theme. And so when you buy a ticket, you show up to this building and then we'll make one of the apartments like a waiting area. Because by the time it's all said and done, we'll be allowed to mingle indoors. Like it has to happen eventually. You know what I mean? So it's like, well, why? Just start now. Um, start planning now. And then you go in and then I, because I love, I went to the show and then she fell and I'll never stop talking about it because that theater company, Third Rail Productions, they fucking closed that production, obviously, because no one could, no one can do theater right now. And that production specifically is very intimate and you're face to face with all the actors. But with that show, you go into this building in Brooklyn, this entire building, the first floor is like this little like doctor's room but it's from like the 1920s and shit you really oh, i've been i've seen and then she fell six times once sober once drunk once on weed once on mushrooms and once on molly y'all it was great every time um and then after that this particular show you get guided to go certain places which i'm glad because i wanted to see all the things but some of the shows like sleep no more you go and then you can kind of explore the space so i kind of want to do a, a mixture of being able to explore the space and go wherever you want because that type of freedom is woo so sweet and then some of the times actors will lead you places i mean i'm this is such a good idea and I want to pay all the artists involved a very comfortable wage. Not a get-by bullshit, okay? Because New York City is the city of dreamers and thinkers and poets and, 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 and weeds. There's weed. That's not really relevant to this. But I'm saying New York City has the most brilliant minds in it. And artists don't get paid enough. They really don't. Um, all artists do not get paid enough. Some get paid enough. But some don't. And that's not fair. I don't like that. Because we need to be encouraging out-of-the-box thinking, y'all. That has to do with the theme today. I'm so on point. But I don't want... I want to pay the artists a good wage. Because one of my favorite places in the entire world is the City Museum in St. Louis. That place... I have never been in a place that has inspired my creativity the way the city museum has. It's this 10-story giant factory building. And you go in, it's called a museum, but it's, you know, it does that name doesn't do it justice because this place, there's 10-story slides and there's fucking all these caves you can crawl in and you just kind of go and you're like, am I going to hurt myself? But there's no one around to tell you what to do. So you're like, freedom. And it's just the, it's so cool. When Corinne and I were headlining Helium in St. Louis, we went because a lot of fuckers had recommended we go there. And oh my God, we only spent three hours there. I wish we would have spent 27 hours there, y'all. And the cafeteria space, that was one of that. And, and then she fell, inspired me to decorate my loft the way I did. And artists like Meow Wolf, yo, if you don't follow Meow Wolf on motherfucking Instagram, shut the fuck up and do it. Don't do it right now. Keep listening to me. But I'll, I'll put that, you know what? I'm going to put that on the resource section of my website. 
Meow Wolf and the City Museum. They're just two. They're 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 awesome. Meow Wolf is an is it makes it takes art and and lets you view art through a lens that is just it's different than just looking at a painting which i love paintings or seeing an opera or whatever watching art you get to participate in the art you get to step inside the art and it's just so fucking cool okay so i want to buy my apartment building so i'm trying to get rich um so i want to start doing ads for this podcast because so far i'm in the negative because i'm buying people books which i'm glad i'm doing but if i'm like i had this idea on the toilet the other day and i was like i need to save up 100 million dollars or if you know anybody who wants to invest anybody know jeff bezos i feel like he could spare some funds and i'll pay him back i will i'll i'll pay him back but i want to pay the artists well i just think that would be the coolest thing to have a five-story apartment building in the middle of manhattan and it's this fucking immersive theater art thing holy hell just how cool would that be how cool would that be um oh and then i wanted to plug things that i pay for every month but i'm they're not asking me to plug them and i'm not getting paid to plug them because one of the things that builds trust with me and a person or a anything a podcast whatever for me to build trust with them because i do eventually want to do ads but i also want to push things that i personally pay for and have subscriptions for that i find helpful and no one is paying me money to say these things so i i, I don't know when when other artists say that i hear other artists promoting things for free i'm like that makes me trust that artist more you know um but the meditation app that i use and i've said this before but 10 percent happier i fucking love this app i use it every night there are single courses that are just strict meditation there's sleep meditations there um and then there's series that you can do and they have a two to three minute video explaining the concept and then they have uh they have a meditation that follows 10 minute meditation and dan harris is this news anchor uh he had a panic attack on air apparently i actually i gotta make a note to google that i want to watch that I want to watch him have a panic attack. But he had a panic attack on air while he was delivering the news. And that's one of the reasons why he created this app, 10% Happier. I'm like, well, that's turning lemons into lemonade, y'all. And I love that it's a dude working on himself. I want to see more examples of men working on themselves and promoting working on themselves. Um, Yeah, Dan Harris freaked out on air and then made a fucking app that benefits me so much another subscription that i pay for that i really love is Masterclass. Woo! i'm learning to write poetry y'all and i'm learning how to write prose because i'm working on a book and i kind of wanted i want this book to be my photography and essays but i'm like i gotta like i want to like write like a fancy person so margaret atwood is teaching me how to write prose and essays and shit uh but Masterclass is an amazing um service it's an amazing service i forget how much these are a month by the way you have to look them up uh probably should have put that in the thing but you know they're not paying me to mention it so i didn't get all the facts for music spotify i mean i use spotify every fucking day and title title is a great service their playlists on title there's a playlist on title called zen garden oh my god i put it on and then i just start drooling and snoring because Spotify's playlists are okay. I fucking love Spotify, though. So I'll, I'll never knock Spotify for... like Spotify rules. Um, my usage out of it has been... I just It's an app I use every day, and that's rare. Um, 
Tidal has great curated playlists. Like they have way better music taste than me, which makes sense because I'm a comedian and they have just have great recommendations. So I recommend that. And then Audible, that's not a service you pay for monthly, although I do have a subscription where I do like a monthly credit. Audiobooks, I fucking love audiobooks. I listen to them when I'm taking a bath. I listen to them when I'm lighting my candles and audiobooks are the best. So those are those are some things that I use that I really love. All right, I just wanted to get some happy stuff before I get to the trauma responses. And I realize, um, thank you to everybody who wrote me, who emailed me with um, a summary of your trauma. I realize asking for a one to two sentence summary, I shouldn't have done that. Hey, we live and we learn. Um, it's really hard to summarize painful memories in one to two sentences. And I'm so glad that you, you know, you didn't, you know, you didn't try to condense them. Some people did, and I appreciate that, but some of you didn't, and I get that because if someone asked me, summarize your bullshit in one or two sentences, I'd be like, well, I, I'm just not going to do it because I'm going to need one to two years at this keyboard, okay? A lot of shit happens to us, guys. So these are some trauma responses that I received um, in my inbox, and the reason I wanted to share this is to hopefully remind you that if you're going through some shit, you're not alone. You're not alone. And we need to be talking about this. Not all the time. You guys, if you, you listeners of this podcast, you hear me talk about this once a week. And if that's all you hear from me, then you might assume that I talk about this all the time. But let me tell you another happiness tip. I got to talk about stupid shit, dumb shit. I got to stare at a wall. I got to eat a pancake. I got to play with Kevin. I cannot focus on this shit for too much in one day. It's not great, but you should focus on your pain when it comes up. So here are some trauma responses that I received from viewers like you. All right. Um, my mom would get mad a lot. She'd look into my eyes and tell me she hated me, just like her dad did to her. She'd beat me with a plastic, and when that broke, metal, spatula, just like her dad did to her. I felt alone and unloved, just like she did, but I love her anyway. Oh, man. I was 14 getting ready for a summer family gathering. I put on a skirt I frequently wore to school without issue. My dad, without hesitation, told me I looked like a slut and to change. Naturally, I ran crying to my room and it triggered him into a rage. He hit and ripped my closed locked door until it came off the hinges. And when he came into the room, I ran past him, running up the stairs to leave, to leave him through a sledgehammer going into the wall behind me. Wow. Six years old, sitting at the top of the step uh, stairs, watching through the banister, my mom and dad screaming and throwing stuff at each other, climbing into my little brother's top bunk and cuddling him while he cried, telling him things are going to be okay. A memory that has always stuck with me is when my parents were fighting. I'm talking screaming, cursing, rage. And I was in my bedroom listening with my ear pressed against the door. I had to use the restroom, but I was afraid to leave my room while they were fighting because I thought I'd get in trouble. So I just held it until I heard silence. Oh, that reminds me of something. Apparently, I fucking held my poop in, man, when I was a child. I held it in. And I never really understood why. But then... My therapist told me it was because I was trying to get control over something. And I was like, oh, that's sad. Yeah, that's probably it. Okay, some more memories. The most painful childhood memory I have is when both my big brothers died just three months apart in the same year. And I was expected to be strong for my parents. Oh. 
I was born highly sensitive and absorbent of others' emotions. I became my mother's emotional dumpy for her hardships, such as my father's affair and familial deaths. At the same time, my father never displayed his own emotions while ridiculing and bullying my mother for the way she looked, behaved, acted, and existed. Well, that sucks. Growing up with a single mom and with, me, uh, with many mental health disorders, the mother had mental health disorders, I often felt invisible. It was me taking care of her instead of the other way around. Once when I was 15, I was lucky enough to be able to move in with my dad across the country. She used her type 1 diabetes against me, not taking care of herself, trying to guilt me oh, into staying with her. Fuck, man. I've had to call 911 many times because her blood sugar was so low that she became incoherent, seemingly drunk. It was terrifying, and I've never been the same since. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry, boo. My childhood fucking sucked. From a stay-at-home mom not spending any time with me, my parents' dysfunctional divorce, and being molested slash raped by my mom's younger brother from age 4 to 11 years old, and coming out with it in high school and seeing my family fall apart, not know how to handle it. It was a rough ride. I recently took mushrooms for my 25th birthday, and on this wonderful trip, I realized what hurt scared me the most through all of it was that I never felt like I had unconditional love. Oh. Oh, my God. I love you. I have unconditional love for you, and I don't even fucking know you. I was one of those kids that always knew that uh, that better was out there, so at the first opportunity, I moved overseas from U.S. to Australia. Hell yeah. Before I left the country, my father, who had always suffocated me with his own projections, said to me, quote, running won't help. You will never be able to get away from yourself. Oh, fuck you. I love my parents dearly, and hearing you talk about the, uh, that dichotomy of loving them but acknowledging your own pain brought me to tears and filled my heart with hope. Oh, that's good. God damn it. I'm crying. Um, okay, this is one other person. She gives me three, uh, a couple bullet points for her. Uh, I believe it's her. It might be a guy. Uh, who knows? Uh, these are anonymous. So this person's childhood shit. Getting screamed at and punished for not being able to learn my ta- uh, times tables. God damn. Last year at the age of 27, I was diagnosed with ADHD that had been misdiagnosed as bipolar when I was 25. Smiley face. <laughs> my parents yelling, screaming, and throwing things. Watching the effects of my parents parenting on my sister's mental health while not understanding that I was suffering mentally as well. Keeping my sister alive only to have her attempt suicide on the one day I didn't check on her. Screaming at my dad for help with my sister only to have him tell me, quote, sometimes we have to take care of people when we don't want to. And your mom and I have taken care of her enough. Oh, God. Ooh. And this is for the same person. My father regularly screaming at me, at my mom, telling her she's a fucking idiot being gaslit my entire life only to realize it was happening when I was 27, stacking wood when I was a kid and having my father kick it down saying, quote, if I wanted it done right, I should have done it myself. Jesus, you know, and it's, and you know, it's, 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 to me, it's very clear knowing all the things I know, reading all the things I've read that parents who parent like this, they were parented like this, but it doesn't fucking excuse it. Okay. And that's one of the reasons why I want to keep reading these because we have a really beautiful opportunity, guys, of ending the cycle. It can stop with us, okay? Do you understand? We can stop. We can stop the 
drug addiction, the alcoholism, the mental abuse, the mental health issues. We can stop it. And we can have children who will be brought into a healthier, nurturing, emotional environment if we do the work. How we stop it is painful but simple. We dig into ourselves and we question ourselves and we interrogate ourselves and we read these goddamn books. All right, I'm going to keep going. I ain't done, motherfucker. My introduction to sex was when my dad fell asleep and left some random porn channel on and my mother caught me watching it. For years afterwards, my father molested me and I often found our family video camera hidden in my room. When I finally told my mother, the three of us talked, questions were asked, but it was ultimately swept under the rug. My father still still drinks. I still live at home with them. <laughs> and though I'm half black, I'll never be able to date a black man. Oh my God. And I cannot stress how many people in this world have been sexually molested as a child. It's a lot, okay? Whatever number that you think it is, listener, right now, it's more than that, okay? I promise you. I promise you. My mom used to grab my ponytail. I had very long hair and an attitude as a teen. Oh, we all did. Pull over on the side of the road and scream at me to apologize while she was driving and I was in the front seat. This happened more than several times. Oh, my God. I will never forget when my mom called me a slut when she asked if I had sex. Jesus, this sounds like I'm writing it. Or that I was a devil child. Oh, or that I was a bad person, or that I was this or that, or that I'm a kid and my opinion doesn't matter. I was called so many names, demeaned and lessened ever since I was maybe 12. I've had my stepdad strike my legs and leave marks, push me down, scream at me, just for having an opinion that differed from his. And of course that language caused me to want to rebel more and more severely with time. I lived to cause them pain because they caused me pain. Oh man. Uh, I used to think that screaming, the screaming I heard from my parents at each other on a school night until 2 a.m. was normal. And the fucked up part was when I was 11, I had to tell my dad my mom was cheating on him. Oh, 11? But through lots of self-help and mental health education, I realized the screaming and fighting, which is nonviolent, what, no, it's emotionally violent, was just as damaging to all of my friendships, relationships in my life now. See, that's the heartbreaking part, man. This whole realization spectrum, like the whole journey, the whole graph. It's like, you know that, you know that graph, the illustration of uh, it was an ape walking in a line and the ape turns into a human being and then the human being turns into an old man or back into an ape. I forget how it ends. But it's like when you realize that your childhood was fucked up, that's such a mind fuck. And then you realize, oh, am I a dick to my friends because my parents were like it's just there's so many oh words there's so many of that throughout this and i and i I, that's why i say it's very painful to do this shit but boy do you have the opportunity to end this forever for your family should you choose to have one when i was 11 my stepdad molested me i told my mom about it and i was sent to my aunt and uncle's house to live with them for a few days My mom and stepdad called me the next day crying and asked if I wanted to send my stepdad to jail. Oh my God. I didn't want anything bad to happen to anyone, so I said no. I had to, of course you're 11. 
I had to live with him and endure emotional and sometimes physical abuse until I turned 18. I regret not sending him to jail every day. And here's another person's. Uh, about age of seven, I ordered chicken strips at a restaurant and my dad told me, quote, no one's ever going to love you if you keep eating like that. This was the first of many comments like this I received throughout my life. Another spicy one was, quote, that fucking disgusts me as I made a bowl of ice cream in the kitchen when I was about 16. Uh, at age 11, my brother was molesting me on a family trip. My dad walked in and said, what the fuck are you doing? And then walked out of the RV where this was happening. This is a new one I'm freshly unraveling in therapy. A month or two after turning 15, I lost my virginity by being raped in the woods during a party I was at with people in their 20s. I was drunk, but I do, do remember what happened and that it was freezing it and I had so much blood on me. I brushed it off and acted like it was okay because I didn't want to seem uncool or as young as I was. I even told my friend I was with that I hooked up with someone, not explaining the circumstances or the details. I didn't even admit to myself it was rape until about 10 years later. It's a very common thing. That's a very common thing that your brain does, especially with something traumatic as sexual assault. My mother told me that boys don't want to date fat girls. She put me on a weight loss program at eight years old. I was looking at photos of myself the other day and I wasn't fat. I grew up to have self-esteem problems and issues with food. And in the parentheses, this person put, obviously, in all caps. And then this is the last one because it has something to do with our topic today. In seventh grade, I had a history teacher point me out in the middle of class and call me fat, dumb, and happy. Jesus. It was validated every, it validated every insecurity that I had about myself. My dad telling me that I was socially retarded, developing early and being ashamed of my body. And being quiet and shy, not having the confidence to speak up unless called upon. To label me this way in front of all my peers, my crush, my friends, I felt so exposed and humiliated. Like everyone was thinking this about me the whole time and I was just frozen in place with a stupid smile on my face, validating everything he just said about me. Like I was too stupid to understand the insult that had just been thrown at me. Wow. Wow. Well, that brings us into the topic today. And I'm going to try to make this funny, but you know, sometimes I'm just going to cry and we're going to have to fucking deal with it, okay? This is chapter 14 of Nathaniel Brandon's The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem. Self-esteem in the schools. Oh boy, you know what we all have in common? We went to school. Actually, some of you got homeschooled. And that one is a, woo boy. Homeschool, huh? I don't know anything about that, so I'm not going to comment. Although I will say the people I know that were homeschooled, but like in a creepy way, where the mom was like, mother knows best. And you're like, that's not healthy. That's not good. I'm sorry, dude. Blink if you need help. Um, it, it, that, yeah. I just, you need to be socialized as a child. And school, man, school can suck. It can be great. My personal experiences with school, I'll, I'll pepper them in as I read this. But um, I, the year I hated the most was fifth grade. That was the notorious worst year of my life. Still to this day is the worst year of my life. Because I also had all these emotions and feelings and my parents were separating and they were screaming at each other and I was all alone because no one asked little Christina, how you feeling today? And little Christina was like, when, when, when? Everyone's like, I got other shit to do. And little Christina was like, okay, I'm just going to go cry and then hump something to forget. Okay, I'm just going to go hump this stuffed animal to forget all my woes and my sads. So I'll be fine. 
and I wasn't. But fifth grade, I hated that year, and I, oh, I had this one teacher. Woo! One of the things she said, she would always say, organization is the key to success. She didn't say it like that. We were in the South. She was like, organization is the key to success. And she said it with an evil smile. And she, I, I really felt like she hated me and she singled me out. And looking back, especially after reading this chapter, that bitch singled me out. So fuck you, Miss Turner. You didn't help, okay? That being said, there are some amazing teachers in this world. And I really hope if you're listening to this that you've had the pleasure of experiencing an amazing teacher. Public school teachers because I don't know how the fucking other teachers get paid. Maybe they get paid enough. Public school teachers do not make enough money. They do not get the respect they deserve. And they don't, they don't, I know they don't make enough money because they have to put their own funds into buying school supplies. And this, and here's where we talk about racism and this country being built against black people. Because if you withhold education from people, you are withholding dignity and, and potential from other human beings. And the fact that the tax brackets decide, whatever tax bracket of that area is decides how much funding the school gets is fucking bullshit. Okay? And one of the, man, oh God. And I experienced, I witnessed racism in my classroom a couple times. There was some, whoa, prof, profound, that's not the right word, terrible examples of seeing teachers be outright racist to the black students oh god it makes me so fucking mad i forget that one french teacher's name boy i'd fucking call her out um but then if certain areas poorer areas or low-income areas deserve educate equal education there is not equal education okay someone fucking wrote me with guys they fucked saying that i think it was in alabama their school just recently had integrated prom, like desegregated proms. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You mean there was a black prom and a white prom? They're like, yeah. I'm like, wait, what? I think this was about like three or four years ago. And I remember reading that. I'm like, are you fucking? And then I Googled it and I was like, well, goddamn, she's right. I mean, she went to the school. And all, there was so many interracial couples in the school and they couldn't fucking go to each other's thing. And I'm like, what the fucking shit? Anyway, sorry, I go on tangents, but... Everything I'm talking about with regards to self-esteem, with regards to school, with everything, I encourage you to also think in the context of race and how it affects people by their race. Just please keep that in your mind. We need to be aware of it and we need to look out for it and we need to figure out ways to vote people in office who actually give a shit about, uh, about everybody actually getting an equal education, okay? Anyway. If you don't vote, I'm going to come to your home and I'm going to punch you in the taint. All right. Chapter 14, self-esteem in schools. Let's read some excerpts, shall we? All right, Nathaniel, what do you got for me? <clears throat> to many children, school represents a second chance, an opportunity to acquire a better sense of self and a better vision of life than was offered in their home. A teacher who projects confidence in a child's competence and goodness can be a powerful antidote to a family in which such confidence is lacking and in which perhaps the opposite perspective is conveyed. A teacher who treats boys and girls with respect can provide enlightenment for a child struggling to understand human relationships who comes from a home where such respect and non, uh, is non-existent. A teacher who, who refuses to accept a child's negative self-concept and relentlessly holds a better view of the child's potential has the power 
sometimes to save a life. Because why would a kid, I mean, geez, I'm sure there are kids like this who managed to go through life with parents who didn't believe in them or bullied them. I mean, we just heard several examples of parents bullying their kids, sexually assaulting their kids, doing terrible things to their children, saying terrible things to their children. Some people can get through that and then they can also get through school where the teachers treat them like shit. And then they manage to believe in themselves. That's a very rare chunk of people. Imagine never being told no, I be- hey, you can do this. I believe in you. It's hard. You're absolutely right. It's hard. But you can do this. I know you can. It's so helpful. And if you're listening to this and you're a teacher, I'm assuming if you're listening to this and you're a teacher, then you're a fucking great teacher. Because like you have good taste in comedy and like want to work on yourself. Um, but boy, do you have a wonderful, beautiful job that you should be getting paid more to do. All right, what else, Nathaniel? But for some children, school is a legally enforced incarceration at the hands of teachers who lack either the self-esteem or the training or both to do their jobs properly. There are teachers, these are teachers who do not inspire but humiliate. Like that fucking chick's teacher. Fucking, I'll fucking punch him in the goddamn testicles. Ugh! They do not speak the language of courtesy and respect but of ridicule and sarcasm. With individual... Invidious? Well, that's a word. With invidious comparisons, they flatter one student at the expense of another. With unmanaged impatience, they deepen a child's terror of making mistakes. They have no, they have no other notion of discipline than threats of pain. Yikes! They do not motivate by offering values, but by evoking fear. They do not believe in a child's possibilities. They believe only in limitations. They do not light fires in mines. They extinguish them. Who can recall, who cannot recall encountering at least one such teacher during one school years? Oh, y'all, I just had a memory. <laughs> I knew it's like, I'm going to think of things to say while I'm reading this. In seventh grade, this teacher, Mrs. Kelly. Yeah, I'm calling you out by name. There's so many Mrs. Kellys in the world. She fucking, I came in class with low rise jeans very low. I'm talking Britney Spears low. And I had a flat ass stomach. Still have a flat ass stomach. Because um, I work my ass off for it, y'all. The older you get, the less croissants you can eat. But I remember she called me a slut. She said I looked slutty in those pants. And she came up to me like a fucking cunt. And I was at my locker and she came up. Oh, I remember it like it was yesterday. Fuck you, Miss Kelly. She came up to me and she goes, are you really wearing those pants? And I was like, no, I'm not. They're a figment of your imagination. I'm just kidding. I started crying because I'm weak. I was weak. I was a weak child. And uh, and I was uh, truly my my perspective when anybody would ever be mean to me, uh, seventh grade, probably that probably lasted up until middle school, was like, why would anybody ever be mean to me on purpose? Like, no one means to be mean. So I did not stand up to myself when this teacher said that. But I know I remember freezing and shaking as she called me a slut for wearing those pants. And I, and I remember thinking like, I hate her and I want to choke her out. And later my therapist told me that like, that's actually a really healthy response. Um, you know, don't actually choke a teacher out cause y'all get arrested as fuck. And I don't recommend physical violence to solve any problems. We have words, let's try to figure out how to use them. But she called me a slut for wearing these low rise jeans. And this chick dressed 
Amish as fuck. She wasn't Amish. No offense to the Amish people. We weren't in an Amish area. But she dressed like a little turd that was Amish and had these long skirts and had horrible taste in scrunchies. Now, I love a scrunchie. I mean, I'm just making fun of her appearance because she made me feel terrible. Um, but she, yeah, she told me I dressed like a slut. And I was like, and all I did, I just, I shook and I went to the bathroom and I cried. And I knew that it wasn't right that she said that to me, but I didn't tell anybody about it. I think I told that teacher, that English teacher that I was like in, like had the biggest crush on. Because um, I was like, oh, this is a problem. I can go to him about maybe he can comfort me. And he did. Um Anyway, most teachers want to make a positive contribution to the minds entrusted to their care. If they sometimes do harm, it is not by intention. And today, most are aware that one of the ways they can contribute is by nurturing a child's self-esteem. They know that children who believe in themselves and whose teachers project a positive view of their potential do better in school than children without these advantages. Indeed, of any professional group, it is teachers who have shown the greatest receptivity to the importance of self-esteem. But what nurtures self-esteem in the classroom is not self-evident. Well, tell me more, Nathaniel. One of the characteristics of persons with healthy self-esteem is that they tend to assess their abilities and accomplishments realistically, neither denying nor exaggerating them. Might a student do poorly in school and yet have good self-esteem? Of course. Grades are hardly a reliable indicator of a given individual's, uh, individual's self-efficacy and self-respect. But rationally self-esteeming students do not delude themselves that they are doing well when they are doing poorly. I mean, I don't know anybody in school that like pretended they were great and actually wasn't. So is that a thing that happened? Because I was in the gifted program and I was like, God damn right, I'm gifted. And then I felt so much pressure from the gifted program that I freaked out and I only lasted a year because I failed out of it. And I was like, well, I guess uh, my gifts got taken away from me. Okay, maybe I suck. I'm going to go cry now. Anyway, we do not serve the healthy development of, a young, of young people when we convey that self-esteem may be achieved by reciting, I am special every day or stroking one's own face while saying, I love me or by identifying self-worth with membership in a particular group. And then he's in parentheses, ethnic pride. And I was like, Nathaniel, are you white? What are you saying? Um, rather than with personal character, let us remember that self-esteem pertains to that which is open to our volitional choice. Ah, oh, that's important. Let me repeat it. Let us remember that self-esteem pertains to that which is open to our volitional choice. It can, oh, I, oh, so that's why he said ethnic group. Um, it cannot properly be a function of the family we were born into or our race or the color of our skin or the achievements of our ancestors. These are values people sometimes cling to in order to avoid responsibility for achieving authentic self-esteem. And at first I was like, well, that's weird because, because like people, especially with the Black Lives Matter movement reemerging and getting the attention that it needs and it'll never be enough attention because um, it needs to be front and center i was like but yeah but like i see people like my friends who are artists who are black they're like i'm fucking proud to be black and i'm so when i read that i was like huh and then i kept reading and i was like oh he's talking about white people um he talking about the whiteies with the guns showing up with their fucking little torches in south carolina because this is the this is the paragraph that that made me realize that or surmise that anyway on the other hand the principle of self-acceptance can have an important application here some students who come from different ethnic backgrounds but who are eager to, quote, fit in, may in effect deny and disown their distinctive ethnic context. 
In such cases, I don't think this is about white people. In such cases, it is clearly desirable to help students to appreciate the unique aspects of their race or culture, to own their history, as it were, and to not treat their heritage as unreal or shameful. Uh, what makes the challenge of fostering children's self-esteem particularly urgent today is that many young people arrive in schools in such a condition of emotional distress that concentrating on learning can be extraordinarily difficult. Robert Reasoner, former superintendent of the Moreland School District in California, writes, oh, this is crazy. Oh, we, didn't, we, we haven't gotten to the part about that I surmise is about white people. Where is that? Basically, it was like, white people holding on to like i'm white and i'm better than you no fuck off fuck off okay fuck off anyway so this guy who's a superintendent uh of the moreland school district in california this is oof these statistics are not great 68 percent of children entering school today in california that's a big ass state y'all takes up a lot of room also, I hope you are doing okay from those fires. Holy shit. 68% um, of children entering school today in California have both parents in the workforce, which means relatively little time spent with either parent. Over 50% of students have already seen a family change, a separation, a divorce, or a remarriage. In many districts, by high school, 68% are not living with their two original parents. 24% are born out of wedlock and have never known a father. 24% are born bearing the residential, uh, oh, excuse me, the residual effects of their mother's abuse of drugs. In California, oh, this statistic, woo, oh, I don't like it. Uh, in California, 25%, 25% of children in California will be either sexually or physically abused before they finish high school. The fuck? Told you it was common. That doesn't make it acceptable or good. 25% come from families with alcohol or drug problems. 25%. 30% are living in conditions considered substandard. 15% are recent immigrants adjusting to a new culture and a new language. Whereas in 1890, 90% of the children had grandparents living in the home. This is so interesting. And in 1950, 40% living in the home. Today, that figure is down to 7%. So they're far less of a support system. And I know in some cultures, like there's a lot of Asian cultures that treat elderly with actual respect. And it's very interesting to me to learn about that because then I look at how we today in America, and I only know about whiteies, white people, because I know like my black friends are like, yeah, the grandmother is the matriarch of the family and the respect. I'm like, yeah, it wasn't like that in mine. And I don't know any of my white friends that had a, the grandmother as this wise figure. Like it just, my grandmother hated women. My dad's mom. She, and she told me that. And I was like, oh, that's weird. I'm three. Can you just keep that to yourself? But in terms of like the grandparents living at home, I did have that actually. My grandparents had a stroke on my dad's side and so they came to live with us in Pennsylvania and for a year it was my grandparents me my mom my dad my brother my brother's girlfriend their two dogs my parents dog my parents two cats it was a full household what a year and then we eventually they sold their house and we put a um we we built an in-law suite into our house and my my mother god bless her took care of my grandmother and grandfather wiped their butts until it really took a toll on her arthritis. And then we had to hire people. But like, man, that's hard. 
But I look at other, like Asian cultures, for example, some Asian cultures, not all of them, that, that really honor the grandparents or the, the, old, the elderly family members. And I'm like, that's kind of nice, actually. That's the way it should be. We shouldn't throw old people out on the streets. That's fucked up. Anyway. Okay, I'm going to keep quoting these uh, statistics about California from Robert Reasoner. As to the emotional life of young people, consider these figures. 30 to 50% will contemplate suicide. 30 to 50% of students in California will contemplate suicide. 15% will make a serious attempt to kill themselves. 41% drink heavily every two to three weeks. 10% of girls will become pregnant before they finish high school. 30% of boys and girls will drop out of high school by the age of 18. Damn, yo. And that's just one state. <sighs> Goals of education. Is the primary goal of education to train young people to be good citizens? Then a high premium may be placed not on fostering autonomy or encouraging independent thinking, but on memorizing a shared body of knowledge and belief on absorbing the rules of a particular society and often on le learning obedience to authority. And this, this makes me think of how much history as related to what um, America has done to black people historically in America has been missing from our public education system. Some of you might have had a pretty solid education, but I didn't learn about Black Wall Street until this summer. Um, I didn't know who Fred Hampton was until two summers ago. Didn't know who Stokely Carmichael was. I knew who Martin Luther King was. I didn't know that the FBI conspired to kill him and probably did and that there's a file waiting until 2027, the FBI, to be exposed with all that information. That's going to be a fun one, y'all. So... I would say a lot of the American education system, the public education system, and they don't tell us shit about sex. Think about this. Everyone knows about the male orgasm in a sex education class, unless it is abstinence only, in which case everyone's fucked. But if it's not abstinence only, you know what a male orgasm is because we need sperm to make a baby. And to, for sperm to come out, a man has to have an orgasm. So we know what a male orgasm is. When I took my goddamn middle school health class, I was like, okay, cool. What about us, doc? If your sex education class in middle school and high school covered the female orgasm, please, the voices in our heads podcast at gmail.com because it, someone had to have covered it, right? <laughs> right? Right, guys? Okay, no. Okay. Well, anyway. Like, that's so fucked up. How can, we, how can we pretend that we care about the citizens of the country? How can the government pretend they care when they withhold history from us and they withhold science from us and they beat us with rulers? I, that didn't happen to me, but it happened to other people. Um, okay, let's keep going, y'all. I vividly recall my own experiences in grade school and high school during the 1930s and 1940s. Oh, God, he's old. Um... <laughs> He should be respected. The two most important values conveyed to me in the world were the ability to remain silent and motionless for long periods of time and the ability to march with my fellow students in a neat row from one classroom to another. Ugh. School is not a place to learn independent thinking. Yeah, man. I mean, if you ask your parents how their school was, I feel like it wasn't great. 
Uh, school is not a place to learn independent thinking, to have one's self-assertiveness encouraged, to have one's autonomy nourished and strengthened. It was a place to learn how to fit in into some nameless system created by some nameless others and called the uh, and called the world or society or the way life is. And the way life is was not to be questioned. Since I questioned everything and found silence and stillness unbearable, I was quickly identified as a troublemaker. Oh, Nathaniel, you crazy. Many brilliant minds have commented on their, dis, uh, on their dismal experience in school, their boredom, their lack of appropriate intellectual stimulation and nourishment, their sense that the last thing the education system was designed for was the cultivation of minds. And another thing for me, I could not get up early in the morning. I learned how to get up early maybe a year ago. But when I was a kid, especially, I, I, it was so hard to wake me up in the morning. And I obviously finally got up because my dad was like, hey, get up, hey, get up. And like, he would wake me up very sweetly, but then I wouldn't fucking get up. And he was like, all right, I don't know what else to do. So fucking get up. <clears throat> and so, and then I had to fucking go to school and learn and my mom was living in a car for some period of time. And I told my dad that I knew how to brush my hair, but I actually did not know how to brush my hair. So my curls matted and I had dreadlock, not dreadlock. There was just a mat. It was matted. And I just put it up in a clip until it all became matted. And I was like, well, I don't know what to do. And the kids fucking bullied me for it in school. But I didn't want to tell them that mom was living in the car and I lied to my dad about knowing how to brush my hair. I mean, it's just a shit show, y'all. It's really, when I say congrats on not killing yourself, I mean, congrats on not killing yourself, okay? There's reason to hope that this orientation is changing. The assembly line has long since ceased to be appropriate symbol of the working place as we have made the transition from a manufacturing to an information society. And mind work has largely replaced muscle work. Well, that's cool. What is needed and demanded today in the age of knowledge uh, of the knowledge worker is not robotic obedience, but persons who can think, who can innovate, originate, and function self-responsibly, who are capable of self-management, who can remain individuals while working effectively as members of teams, who are confident of their powers and their ability to contribute. What the workplace needs today is self-esteem. And what the workplace needs sooner or later, if of necessary, becomes the agenda of schools. Yeah, because school's fucking supposed to prepare you for work or whatever the fuck. It's not work if you love it. But most people, it's work. I'm drinking water. And some people have multiple jobs. A lot of people do. That's fucked up, y'all. I mean, good on you for doing what you need to do to get by. To, to provide for your family, to provide for yourself. Seriously. But boy, I wish we lived in a country that didn't require us to have multiple jobs and then that didn't require us to uh, have an expensive health insurance plan and able to uh, be able to withhold, withstand financially an injury, a car accident, whatever. God damn, so pissed. If schools are to be adaptive, the goals of education need to embrace more than merely mastering a particular body of knowledge that students are expected to regurgitate on exams. The aim must be to teach children how to think, how to recognize logical fallacies, how to be creative, and how to learn. Schools are criticized at present because it is possible to graduate high school without even knowing how to write a coherent paragraph or add up one's restaurant check. But a mastery of simple English composition or arithmetic, while essential, 
I don't even. I wouldn't even think it was essential, but okay. Does not begin to touch what a person must know today at any level above the most menial job. Teacher self-esteem. Oh, man. I had a teacher, French teacher. Her name was Madame Sparks. Well, we called her Madame because it was friends. And boy, she let the classroom get away from her. There was a class clown named Paul. I was in love with him. Did he like me back? No, he liked my friend Robin. That's okay. Story for another day. But Paul would be really funny in French class, and then he would eat a biscuit. A biscuit? How do you say biscuit in French? Biscuit? And he put, I remember one time he put him one in each cheek, and then Madame Sparks came over and was like, Paul! And he was like, yes, my boom. And everyone was laughing. And then we were, I was laughing because Paul was being funny and I wanted him to think I was cute. But I felt so bad for that fucking teacher, man. Ah! I couldn't. Oh, I felt so bad. Uh, anyway, uh, what a great teacher, a great parent, a great psychotherapist, and a great coach have in common is a deep belief in the potential of the person with whom they are concerned a conviction about what that person is capable of being and doing, plus the ability to transmit the conviction during their interactions. I always did poorly in math in school, a client said to me, and I always knew I could never do well until I met a teacher who refused to believe me. She knew I could do math, and her certainty had so much power, it was irresistible. The ability to inspire students in this way is not usually found among teachers who have little belief in themselves. I mean, yeah. Let's talk about expectations, y'all. To give a child the experience of acceptance does not mean, as we have already noted, to signal, I expect nothing of you. Teachers who want children to give their best must convey that that is what they expect. Research tells us that a teacher's expectations tend to turn into self-fulfilling prophecies. No shit, y'all. If a teacher accepts a child, expects a child to get an A or a D, either way, expectations tend to become realities. Yeah, because that one teacher, Miss Turner, who was like, organization is the key to success. And I was like, shut up, bitch. I'm trying to live. I didn't say that. I was very nice. But she hated me. She singled me out. She called me Chris, which was weird. Like, no one ever called me that. And she said it like she said it really loud. And like, guys, Chris is talking. Chris has something to say. And I'm like, it's Christina, you bitch. But again, didn't say that. I just went home and cried about it. Um, but now that I think back on it, I get real mad at Miss Turner. Um, but I. I remember that was my first ever D in a class. I think she taught social studies. And the class treated me like I was a fucking idiot because the teacher talked to me like I was a fucking idiot. God, I didn't like that teacher. Really, really didn't like that teacher. Thank God I had some amazing, amazing teachers. Shout out to Miss Mifflin. Shout out to Mr. O'Brien. Shout out to Miss McTamney. Those are three of them that I really loved. And that helped me a lot. If a teacher knows how to convey... I am absolutely convinced you can master this subject and I expect you to and will give you all the help you need. Oh God, didn't that sound wonderful? The child feels nurtured, supported, and inspired. I mean, me as an adult felt nurtured just by reading that. Let's talk about the class environment. If the primary goal of the education system is one, uh, is one factor that has consequences for a child's self-esteem, and if the teacher's own self-esteem is another, yet a third is the classroom environment. This means the way a child is treated by the teacher and sees other children being treated. Now here's some factors about the classroom environment. A child's dignity. A child's dignity. Whether one is dismissed discourteously or praised for being cute, most children are not used to having their dignity as human beings respected. So a teacher who treats all students with courtesy and respect sends a signal to the class. You are now 
in an environment where different rules apply than those you may be used to. In this world, your dignity and feelings matter. In this simple way, a teacher can begin to create an environment that supports self-esteem. God, I want to go back to school and learn from someone good. Justice in the classroom. Children are extremely sensitive to issues of fairness. If they see the same rules applied consistently to everyone, if, for instance, they see that their teacher has the same attitude and policy, whether talking to a boy, a girl, a Caucasian, a black American, a Hispanic, or an Asian. Uh, guys, he's old. Uh, I didn't know all the right words. They register the appropriate lesson. They perceive the teacher as having integrity and their sense of safety and security is enhanced. On the other hand, favoritism and disfavoritism poisons a classroom atmosphere. It encourages feelings of isolation and rejection and diminishes children's sense that this is a world with which they will be able to deal. Self-appreciation. When teachers help a child feel visible by offering appropriate feedback, they encourage self-awareness. When they offer not judgment but descriptions of what they see, they help the child to see him or herself. Oh, that's so true. When they draw attention to a child's strengths, they encourage self-appreciation. However, teachers often tend to concentrate not on strengths but on weaknesses. Johnny is good at English but poor in math. So the whole focus is put on math. Since math does have to be learned, this is understandable, but it is a mistake nonetheless. The mistake is not that the teacher says math needs more attention. It does. The mistake is that the teacher treats this as more important than Johnny's skill in English. And I cannot tell you as a sensitive motherfucking Sally, there were subjects that what sometimes I was so good at math and they'd be like, oh, you're gifted. And I'm like, what? No, I'm not. And then I would get in the gifted and I'm like, can't handle this. And they're like, oh, you're not gifted anymore. And I was like, okay, take my gifts back. I guess I never even had it. Maybe I don't know. But then every time I had a review of grades or report card of any kind, the focus was always, no matter how great the teacher, some of the teachers focused on the positive, but a lot of times the focus was on what I was doing wrong. And that's rude. Uh, attention. Every child needs attention, and some children need more attention than others. There is one kind of student who is often ignored. Oh, this made me sad. This is the student who does his or her work extremely well, but who is shy, retiring, and very uh, silent in class. Above all, what is needed is the message that what the child thinks and feels matters. The tragedy for many children is when, year after year, they do not get this message from adults. At some point, what they think and feel matters less to themselves. Let's talk about discipline, y'all. This is an excerpt written by Jane Bluestein. She wrote, when we ask our students to do something, we usually have a better reason than because I said so. Telling them the real, logical, and intrinsic reason for a limit or rule so the markers do not dry out, so that we do not disturb anyone on our way down to the hall, so that no one trips and falls, builds commitment and cooperation even from rebellious students. That's true. I always wanted to know why, why, how come, why, 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 but why? Always asking why. A teacher can think about rules in one of two ways. She or he can wonder, how can I make students do what needs to be done? Or, this one's better, spoiler alert, how can I inspire students to want to do what needs to be done? That one's the best. The first approach threatens pain. The second offers value and power too. Which approach a teacher feels more comfortable with has a good deal to do with his or her sense of efficacy as a person. Discipline problems also often result when children come to school with negative expectations concerning the behavior of adults based on their experiences at home. 
That's why I'm saying, man, teachers get a lot of credit. Woo! They got a big job because they don't know what kind of home life this kid, the kid has. There was an example of, I don't know if someone who wrote us an email at some point, I read an article, but I, I know this is a real life example where a teacher at the uh, beginning of the school year said, if there's anything you want me to know, but you only want me to know it, whether it's something going on at home, in your head, something you're curious about, anything you want me to know, write it down on a piece of paper with your name, fold it and give it to me and we can talk about it or you can just want me to know it. And I'm like, what the f- what an angel what an academic angel that's such a good idea and i think college professors should do this well, college professors really i mean they're very smart people and i i loved my college courses really did but the relationship with the actual teacher is weirder in college i don't know because you fuck them just kidding um <laughs> Anyway, where was I? Where was I? Where was I? Oh, the discipline part. I already read that. We're almost done, guys. We're growing. We're growing. Understanding emotions. Let's get into it. If a proper education has to include an understanding of thinking, it also has to include an understanding of feelings. Unfortunately, many parents implicitly teach children to repress their feelings and emotions or those which parents find disturbing. Quote, stop crying or I'll really give you something to cry about. Fuck you, Judy. Don't you dare get angry. Screw you, Mark. Don't be afraid. Do you want people to think you're a sissy? Fuck off, Doug. I'm out in these parts. No decent girl has such feelings. Don't be so excited. What is the matter with you? Oh, God. Who's horny? Uh, Parents who accept certain teachings of religion are likely to convey the unfortunate notion that there are such things as evil thoughts or evil emotions. It is a sin to feel that. The child may learn moral terror of his his or her inner life. Yeah, dog. No one I know. Okay, one person I know went to a Catholic school and didn't get fucked up from it. Everyone else? <laughs> As emotions, an emotion is both a mental and physical event. It is an automatic psychological response involving both mental and physiological features to our subconscious appraisal of what we perceive as beneficial or harmful to ourselves. To cease to know what we feel is to cease to experience what things mean to us. That's a good one. This unconsciousness is often actively encouraged in children. A child may be led to believe that emotions are potentially dangerous, that sometimes it is necessary to deny them, to make oneself unaware of them. The child can learn to disown certain emotions and cease to experience them consciously. Like your girl. On the psychological level, a child deflects awareness, thereby ceasing to recognize or acknowledge certain feelings. On the physical level, a child inhibits breathing, tenses his or her body, or holds in her poopy, induces muscular tensions, and blocks the free flow of feelings, or poop, thereby inducing a partial state of numbness, or constipation. Yeah, I held in my poop a lot. Um, did anybody else do that? Don't wait until the end of the episode to email me. Like, listen to the whole thing, or else it doesn't count as a listen. I'm trying to get ads, y'all. I'm trying to get ads eventually. Uh, we can learn to own when we are afraid and accept it. And, for instance, still go to the dentist when it is necessary to do so. And that reminds me. Ooh, gotta do that. Uh, we learn to admit when we are angry and to talk about it and not resort to fists. Although sometimes we want to resort to fists. 
It's natural. We can learn to recognize when we hurt and own the feeling and not put on a phony act of indifference. We can learn to witness our feelings of impatience and excitement and breathe into them. And yet, that's where meditating comes in, and yet not go out to play until we have finished our homework. Well, that's a lot. We can learn to recognize our sexual feelings and accept them and not be controlled by them. Get that, guys? Not be controlled by them. Some fuckboys should know that. And not be controlled by them in self-destructive ways. What text in a picture your dick to a girl you don't know? We can learn to recognize and accept our emotions without losing our minds. Well, that's good to know. We can learn to wonder. We might, we, uh, what might my feelings be trying to tell me? What might I need to consider or think about? We can learn that a pain or fear confronted is far less dangerous than a pain or fear denied. I mean, that just sounds like a presidential quote, y'all. I'm going to underline that shit. That's good shit. I'm going to repeat that shit. We can learn that a pain or fear confronted is far less dangerous than a pain or fear denied. Ooh, I got the willies. We can learn that we are accountable for what we choose to do, but that feelings as such are neither moral or nor immoral. They simply are. That's a good one, too. Children who feel accepted find it easier to accept themselves. Well, no shit, Sherlock. Just kidding. We know that the best relationships rest on a foundation of respect for self and respect of, for the other. We know that win-win, mutually beneficial negotiations in which both parties gain value, values are superior to win-lose negotiations in which one person's gain is another's loss, a theme, incidentally, that is encouraged more and more in business literature. We know that dealing with people fairly and justly provides the security they need to give their best. We know that a spirit of benevolence, compassion, and mutual aid without self-sacrifice serves the interests of everyone. Y'all, everyone! We know that people who keep their word and honor their promises and commitments evoke trust and cooperation, and those who don't, don't. We know that winners look for solutions, and losers look for someone to blame. You fucking losers. Don't be a loser. Don't worry. I've been a loser many times. And I will be a loser going forward. But I'll learn. But I will learn, y'all. But I will learn. Okay, we're going to wrap this up. We're going to wrap this up. Let's talk about moral implications. Um, Whereas the obedient student will, under different circumstances, sacrifice self or others. Oh, okay. Well, let me let me go over this part first. This is a good one. The obedient student versus the responsible student. This is a good one. I got to go over this. The obedient, think about that. The obedient student versus the responsible student. Let us contrast more traditional ways of teaching with the kind of teaching that nurtures self-esteem by way of a set of comparisons. What we are comparing are the characteristics of the obedient student with those of the responsible student, the student who experiences the locus of control as external to self Versus the student who experiences the local of con- locus of control as internal. Meaning, you know, an authority figure. If you're the obedient student, you rely on an authority figure to tell you what to do, when to do it, how high to jump. But if you're a responsible student, you understand that you hold the power. Not power over breaking the rules and all that shit. But like, you're, you got yourself. And to those people, I say, what's that like? I have adapted this material from Jane Bluestein's 21st century discipline where he compares. Okay, so let's compare the obedient student. So this is lists. The obedient student is characterized by the following traits and then the responsible student. So I'll, I'll compare them. The obedient student is characterized uh, by things like they follow orders. 
The obedient student follows orders. The responsible student makes choices. Oh, shit. I see what you did there, Nathaniel. That's a good-ass point. The obedient student may lack self-confidence to function effectively in absence of authority figures, lacks initiative, waits for orders. The responsible student, I wasn't that one, more confident to function effectively in the absence of authority, takes initiative. Yeah, definitely wasn't that one. The obedient student, self-esteem is defined externally, feels worthwhile only when receiving approval. Yeah, that was definitely me. The responsible student, self-esteem is defined internally. No, not me. Worthwhile with or without approval or even disapproval. Yeah, hell no. If y'all, if a teacher frowned at me, I was like, why should I die? <laughs> I'm going to read two more examples. The obedient student has difficulty understanding or expressing personal needs. Yet yeah, that one's definitely me. The responsible student better able to, is better able to understand the, and express personal needs. Well, good for you, motherfuckers. The obedient student is oriented to avoid punishment, keeping teacher off my back. That was me. The responsible student is committed to the task, experiencing outcome of positive choosing. Okay, so I just want, that's an important, that's an important one. That's an important one. And now we're going to talk, last but not least, about moral implications. Moral implications. What's that? I'm glad you asked. Whereas the obedient student will, under different circumstances, sacrifice self or others. This has been the practice of obedient people throughout all of human history. You're telling me, Doc! The responsible student, ideally, will be taught to operate outside the sacrifice paradigm. This is implicit in the win-win philosophy, although unfortunately it has not been identified explicitly. At best, the responsible student may learn a new concept of human relationships that reflect the proprietary of pr the propriety. Second time's a charm. Let me start that sentence again. We're not editing it out because I make mistakes and I'm okay with that. <coughs> no, I'm coughing. The, uh, at best, the responsible student may learn a new concept of human relationships that rejects the propriety of practicing human sacrifice. Okay, that's cool. All right, I'm going to read this last section. The frustrations, pressures, and challenges teachers face test their self-esteem, energy, and dedication every day to preserve throughout their careers the vision with which the best of them started, to hold fast to the idea that the business they are in is that of setting minds on fire is a heroic project. The work they are doing could not be more important. Yet, to do it well, they need to embody, at least to a decent extent, that which they wish to communicate. A teacher who does not operate at an appropriate level of consciousness cannot model living consciously for his or her students. A teacher who is not self-accepting will be unable to successfully communicate self-acceptance. A teacher who is not self-responsible will have difficult, a difficult time persuading others of the value of self-responsibility. A teacher who is afraid of self-assertiveness, that was Miss Sparks, will not inspire its practice in others, because Paul is putting those biscuits in his mouth. A teacher who is not purposeful is not a good spokesperson for the practice of living purposefully. A teacher who lacks integrity will be severely limited in the ability to inspire in others. If their goal is to nurture self-esteem in those entrusted to their care, teachers, like parents, like psychotherapists, like all of us, need to begin by working on their own. One arena in which this can be done is the classroom itself. Just as parenting can be a spiritual discipline, a path for personal development, so can teaching. The challenges each, pre uh, each present 
can be turned into vehicle for personal growth. So yeah, that's cool. If you're um, here, let's email me. Let's do another thing where you email me stuff, but let's make it, um, if you're a teacher and you're listening to this and um, I'll do two things. If you're a teacher and you're listening to this and you have like that example that I mentioned earlier where this one teacher um, asked if there's anything the students would like to privately tell them via writing it down on a piece of paper. Um, I thought that was such a good idea. If you have certain practices at the beginning of your classroom or throughout your classroom, or if you had an experience with a student <clears throat> that really changed you, write, email me, the voices in our heads podcast at gmail.com, and I'll share them because I'm a lot of people are teachers. And this is a very important job. And um, I think spreading the knowledge and good practices is really helpful. And some people aren't teachers, but they are in a position where they teach. So they kind of are teachers. So what I'm trying to say is we can all help each other and learn from one another. And um, yeah. And then also, if you're a teacher who is low on funds and had like one, uh, there was a teacher that messaged me. I don't know if the teacher messaged me or her friend over the summer because she couldn't, she had like an Amazon wish list of stuff she wanted to buy her class, but because her budget wasn't allowing her to buy the things she needed. So she had an Amazon wish list, And I was like, that's so cool. And so I, I put it on my social media. If you're a teacher and you have an Amazon wish list of stuff for your classroom, the voices in our heads podcast at gmail.com. I will create next episode, either probably on the resource section of my website uh, or, so, or on social media. I'll probably do a graphic. I'll have Emily do a graphic. That's my trusty associate producer assistant. She's great, y'all. Emily, hi, Emily. Um, uh, I'll, I'll post them. I'll promote them. I mean, you know, I got some Instagram followers and there's a lot of people that follow me who want to give money to artists, to people who need it. And I think the best thing we can do to invest in our future is to invest in creating the best possible classroom environment for the kids. Um, okay. Did you have fun? Did you have fun today, guys? This is a little bit, little bit lighter than last week, but don't worry. We're going to experience ups and downs all throughout the way because that's what life is, y'all. All right. Congrats on surviving another week, guys. Uh, I love you, and I will talk to you next Wednesday. Listen up, you can be anything in the world And God we trust, an architect, doctor Maybe an actress, but nothing comes easy It takes much practice Like, I met a woman who's becoming a star She was very beautiful, leaving people in awe Singing songs, Lena Horn, but the younger version Hung with the wrong person, got a strong on that Sniffing up drugs, all in the nose Could've died so young, now looks ugly and old No fun, cause now when she reaches for hugs People hold their breath, cause she smells of corrosion and death Watch the company you keep, and the crowd you bring Cause they came to do drugs, and you came to sing So if you're gonna be the best, I'ma tell you how Put your hand in the air, and take the vow I know I can, I know I can Be what I wanna be, be, what I wanna be. If I work hard at it I'll be where I wanna be Boys and girls, listen again. This is for
for grown looking girls who's only 10 The ones who watch videos and do what they see As cute as can be, up in the club with fake ID Careful, for you meet a man with HIV You can host a TV like Oprah Winfrey Whatever you decide, be careful, some men be Rapists, so act your age, don't pretend to be Older than you are, give yourself time to grow You're thinking he can give you wealth, but so young boys You can use a lot of help, you know You're thinking life's all about smoking Ice. You don't wanna be my agent, can't read and write Begging different women for a place to sleep at night Smart boys turn them in and do whatever they wish If you believe you can achieve, then say it like this I know I can, I know I can be, what I be. be what I wanna be If I work hard at it, I'll be where I wanna be Now go We came to this country We were kings and queens Never porch monkeys There was empires in Africa Called Kush Timbuktu Where every race came to get books To learn from black teachers Who taught Greeks and Romans Asian Arabs And gave them gold When gold was converted to money It all changed Money then became empowerment For Europeans The Persian military invaded They heard about the gold The teachings and everything sacred Africa was almost robbed naked Slavery was money So they began making slave ships Egypt was the place that Alexander the Great went He wasn't shocked that the mountains were black faces Shot up their nose to impose what basically Still goes on today, you see If the truth is told, the youth can grow They'll learn to survive until they gain control Nobody says you have to be gangsters Read more, learn more, change the globe Ghetto children, do your thing Hold your head up, little man, you're a king Young princess, when you get your wedding ring Your man is saying, she's my queen I know I can be what I wanna be. If I work hard at it, I'll be where I wanna be. I'll be where I wanna be. I'll be, where I wanna be. I'll be